in multiple places today. Um, so uh, we've got our ongoing study in First Peter, but we've also got the start of Holy Week, Palm Sunday today. And that begins with Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, commonly referred to as the triumphal entry, Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. So a lot of times when, you know, Easter, Christmas, Palm Sunday, things like that will we'll diverge from where we are in the Bible. Our general pattern is to study a book at a time and to go through that book, however long it takes us to get through it. And we'll often leave that. Uh, and be where the calendar has us today, but I'd, I'd like to try to do both today. Is that okay? Some Peter and some Holy Week? Is that, you? well, I guess you don't really have much of a choice. So, um, <coughs> The section of um, Scripture we'll cover in First uh, Peter, um, and really where we've been in the last couple of weeks, it's, it's highlighted submission. And really, sometimes all of God's word can be difficult, right? But submission, that's one that kind of gets at us, that really kind of claws at our hearts. How am I going to do? I don't want to do this. This is against my nature. And as I was considering Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, it helped me put things into perspective that our ability to do what God has called us to do is so connected to whether we are at peace or not. Whether we internally are at peace or not. And Jesus comes in, and we'll get there in a minute, um, and you hopefully you'll understand what the connection is to peace. Uh, I'd like to start our study today... Uh, we'll be in Matthew 21. That's the first place we're going to be if you want to turn there. I'd like to start our study today with Jesus entering into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. And at the end of our study today, we will look at another entrance that Jesus makes. Duke Sunday. His arrival each time will be our bread, what holds our sandwich, what holds our study together, just as his arrival holds our lives together and gives us the ability to obey. Matthew 21. In between, we'll dive back into 1 Peter. Uh, I don't think it's fair to say that's the meat of the study, because like when we say, well, this is the meat, right? That's the important thing. It's all important, right? It all is pertinent. It all is good, and it all is worthwhile, and we need to hear all of it. It's just more that we need to eat. It's more that we need to chew on from the Word of God, and hopefully... I have not bitten off more than I can chew today. You're missing Rick already, right? He's in New Hampshire. I figured I'd give you a taste of Rick while you're still here. So the account of Jesus entering into Jerusalem is one of the events found in all four of the Gospels. Mark 11, uh, Luke 19, John 12, and uh, Matthew 21. Matthew and John, obviously, as disciples of Jesus, were with him for these events. They give eyewitness accounts. Mark, according to the church fathers, got his uh, understanding of the gospel and what he wrote down as the gospel of Mark from Peter. And Luke, in his own words, at the beginning of Luke chapter 1, says he got his from those servants of the word. I encourage you to go back and read uh, through all of their accounts 
of the Holy Week and see the things that Jesus did. I taught on that last year uh, on Palm Sunday. Go back and look at Holy Week and the things that happened there. But we'll be in Matthew 21 today and just talking about the triumphal entry. Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me, them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This is where we get Palm Sunday. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we uh, want to take in everything that you have for us today your word. I pray, God, again, make me a servant who handles your word of truth correctly and give each of us ears to hear and eyes to see. But I know what I'm trying to communicate, uh, but all of us want what you're trying to communicate. All of us need what you're trying to communicate to us, and you are constantly trying to do that. And we thank you for that, God, that you don't leave us on our own. Bless this time, God, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so he quotes here from two places in the Old Testament. Zechariah 9, verse 9, and we can that we can date that to about 500 years before Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. So Zechariah 9, 9, I don't have up there. I'll have you guys turn to that as I want to read this to you. <clears throat> Prophecy given by Zechariah during the reign of Darius, and that's how we can date this because we know when he reigned from other extra-biblical sources. Zechariah is the second-to-last book of the Old Testament, so if you go to Matthew and work your way back a little bit, you will find it. <clears throat> it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. The custom you see in the ancient Middle East is that donkeys 
were preferred by rulers and great men for peaceful journeys. Horses were reserved for war. Jesus is coming to them in to one for him, but he's coming in peace. And that's one of the biggest things I see here in his entry. Lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. And in Zechariah, we see there's two more attributes of this king that we don't see in the quotation that Matthew uses. Just and having salvation. Just or righteous and having salvation. As he comes into Jerusalem, says those things about him. John leaves out gentle. Luke and Mark don't include the quote at all in their Gospels, and I'm not suggesting to you anything's wrong with their accounts. God has us covered. God says, I've got the source material for you that you can go back to and see all the things I want you to know about these times, about these occurrences. He's got all the information that we need, and I'm encouraging you to dig in during your personal Bible study. Look and see what it says. If there's a quote, go back, find where it is, read everything around there. Find out all of it that God has for you there. But he comes in peace as he enters Jerusalem. And the people are laying down their clothes ahead of him. They're cutting branches and spreading them out. They're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that quote is from Psalm 118. If you want to turn back to that. So Psalms about a middle, the middle of your Bible, roughly. Verses 25 and 26 says, save now, that's the word, Hosanna. Save, Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord, and they also shout Hosanna in the highest. Go back, I encourage you. Well, let's see. I'm not going to do it. Go back and read all of Psalm 118. It is an amazing psalm. It, it starts with his love enduring forever. It talks about him being the better place of refuge. It talks about how we fight in the name of the Lord and keep our salvation, how his right hand has done mighty things, and it ends with, again, his love endures forever. And this is what's being quoted as Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem. All these amazing things. And Peter actually quotes from Psalm 118 in chapter 2 as well. Go back and read Psalm 118. I don't think it's any mistake, right, that we're, we're hitting Peter uh, right, around Psalm, uh, right around Palm Sunday and he's got multiple references to Psalm 118. God's got stuff for us there for us to go back and see, for us to understand and apply to our hearts. So I encourage you to do that today.
So as we turn back, we're going to be we're going to go to First Peter now. We'll be in chapter three today. I want you to keep in mind how Jesus entered Jerusalem in peace. He came righteous, having salvation. There was no other who was righteous. There was no other who was just and none who could win salvation for us and impute righteousness to us. To impute something to someone else is to take what you've got and they don't have and give it to them by association with you. And Jesus imputes righteousness and justness to us. Some things he's coming, he's riding into Jerusalem with. He came gently, and he deals this uh, he deals this with us this way. Have you ever noticed that? How gentle God is with you? Like compare, <laughs> I compare, and I, I'll encourage you to use it. How, um, how quickly you correct your kids versus the rope God gives you and how gentle, gentle he is. Now, kids, don't, I, this is not for you to turn into a complaint against your parents. He gave them to you for a reason. Or how quickly or how ungentle we are with ourselves at times. God is so gentle with us. And so, even when he knocks us up against the head, very gentle and does all the things for us that we can't do. The people are crying out, Hosanna, save now. But many weren't looking for the salvation that God wanted to give them. They were looking for freedom from Rome. They were looking for the ability to worship in the way they wanted to and thought was the way they should, which God had told them over and over and over again, you're not doing it right. (laughs) You keep getting it wrong. And they just, they wanted to have their nation and their ways and have self-rule and self-determination. We're still after today. They're crying, save now, but not looking for the salvation God wanted to bring. Hosanna in the highest. It's a weird phrase, right? Save now in the highest. What does that mean? Save now. Save us in the highest regions. Save us in the abode of God. Save us to the utmost. Save now. They were asking for the highest, but that's not really what they wanted. So often we don't want the highest. We want the immediate. Save now. Emphasis on now. Highest is negotiable, right? But do it now. Do it now, God. We want the immediate. We don't work correctly because of sin. We just don't. The, uh, I cut my finger, I don't know, a year ago, two years ago, something. It looks fine. It's this finger right here. Not that you can see it from there, but I guess Tom could like zoom in on it, the camera. I cut this finger. It looks fine. It's just like all the other fingers, but it doesn't work quite correctly. Like when I touch all my other fingers, it, it, they all feel the same. The tactile sensation on all of those is the same, and this one's different. Because something was severed there. And even though it's joined back, it still doesn't work quite right. And even though we're joined to Christ, we still don't work quite right. It feels different. It works different. The connection that God wanted with us from the very beginning is slightly different now. 
and he'll make it right. He'll make all things new at the end. But right now, it doesn't work correctly. And so we say save, and we have other things in mind often than the way that he wants to save us. There is such strength in peace and gentleness and the salvation that Jesus brings, and we need all of those things. And we're going to talk about some verses that we might not like. I thought about just doing Palm Sunday and leaving Wives Submit to Your Husbands for Rick for next week, but I'm diving in. So, And the reason I want to, the, the reason that I think this idea of peace is so important is because scriptures that chafe us and that irritate us and that make us go, is God even relevant? And that make us think God needs to get with the times are the ones that we really need peace. We need peace to be able to grasp onto and function correctly, as correctly as we can, uh, and understand what God has for us. So do you want the highest, or are you settling for something less? You want to be saved to the highest? First Peter 3. Um, we'll start with verses 1 through 6, and I'll, today I'm going to be interjecting as I go instead of reading the entire passage first. <laughs> oh, I, you guys got your own. I thought you were laughing at that. Maybe, uh, never mind. Uh, so, <laughs> wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, bird, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. What? Peter, male chauvinist. How dare he suggest it, much less say it, as an imperative. He says it as a command. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands. He's not a woman. He doesn't have authority to speak to women. He doesn't understand them. These are all the things that can happen in our minds, and they don't just happen to women. They happen to everybody. God's so old-fashioned. This is a continuation of what you see in chapter 2. He is called, he, and he does, Peter does this multiple times in First Peter, as you live here as foreigners, sojourners, as you live here as strangers in this world, and we have to keep reminding ourselves that we live here as strangers. And we're not trying to be like everyone else. And we're not chasing after everything that everybody else is chasing after. We're here for a different reason. And he says, therefore, in chapter 2, he says, submit yourselves to every authority. So he's an equal opportunity offender, Peter, right? Submit your cement there which may be extremely displeasing to many of us. He says, servants, submit to your masters. And here he says, wives to your husbands. Wives and women are not being singled out. And how is this any different than Jesus calling us to be servants as he was a servant? When he calls us to be submissive, when he calls us to live that life, that submission, again, is coming under that's what the servant does, comes under and says, how can I be of service here? How can I lift you up? 
How can I make it easier for you to follow Jesus? By submitting. Right? Now, that's from God. That's not like, well, just submit to me and everything will be fine. Right? That's not going to get you very far. But that heart of submission, and he's telling all of us in every situation about submission in order that we can raise people up, that they can be more like Jesus. And look at the reason he calls wives to this, that without a word, they might win their unbelieving husbands over to obedience of the word. Without a word. Rick talks a lot about uh, control and influence. Uh, So how many of uh, you wives try to control your husbands at times and in places? Uh, and it works the same way too. So I'm not just picking on you. Don't. I've got stuff for the husbands coming up. So, before I asked you guys if you had tomatoes when you came in. So, so I get one from you and one from you. Um, he's equal opportunity here. We we try to control other people, and Peter's talking about influence. It's without a word, without a word, that they impact. Uh, that they impact their husbands to win them over. You can say, well, Peter's not a woman, and neither am I, and you're correct. I'm not, and I'm not from minority, I'm minority, I'm not from minority, that's all, folks. That's what, Porky Pig would always just change the word. I'm trying to say Minority. So I'm I'm not from an underrepresented. I am Porky Pig. I'm not from a minority culture. I'm not transgender. I'm only me. And you are only you. So the calculus of the world today says we can't say anything to anybody. Right? Because... We're not them, but they're not me either. And I'm, 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 I, I'm not trying to build a case for uh, being mean to people and being angry with people. I'm saying we're just people. There is one who understands everything. And the one that understands everything, the one that says wives submit to your husbands, the one that says you submit to the ruling authorities, the one that says you honor the king. That one says, this is how you will understand how to live. This is where you will get the direction that you need. Not what Facebook is telling you. Not what TikTok is telling you. Not what Fox News is telling you. Not what CNN is telling you. Whatever side you're on, it doesn't matter. Not what the commercials are telling you. Not what your friends necessarily are telling you, unless they're telling you this. This is how you will function most properly while you are here. And if you don't have peace, you're going to really struggle with obeying what is in here. Nowhere in that instruction is the direction to grab everything that you deserve. That's nowhere in here. Go amass as much as you can. 
except in jest, right? Eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's the, that's the closest you can get to what everything else is telling us to do. That's telling women that feel that they're subjected to oppression and they are in cases and they do make less money and it's not fair in many cases. But the world is saying, you go get your own. Take what I have for you. Be at peace in me. And I will give you everything you need. Seek my kingdom first, and all these things will be added to you. Nowhere does he say, go out and grab everything you deserve. And the only glass ceiling he calls you to break is the one that's getting in the way of you being like him. And that's for all of us to break. All of us. There's tremendous there's been tremendous, and there is oppression, and there's no way around it because we don't work right. We don't work correctly. None of us do. Seek him first and let everything else be secondary. He says, do not let, verse 3, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord or Master, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with these. How about incorruptible beauty? incorruptible beauty. How much would they charge for that on the Home Shopping Network? Is the Home Shopping Network still around? Is it called something else now? Whatever. Maybe you get it for less on Amazon with a Prime membership. Or at least you get free shipping in two days. What is precious to you? What is precious to you? What's precious in the sight of God? The hidden person of the heart with a gentle and quiet spirit. So uh, I would say, guys, we are often more concerned with outward adornment than the hinted inner person of women. And so we're giving them this message that they should be something that God says is secondary to what he calls precious. So we need to work on that. And I would say women you're certainly susceptible to wanting to go outward because we're all susceptible to wanting to go outward instead of inward and have a quiet and gentle spirit. We all get to that point, and anybody that's married, um, and I think this just happens, it happens in marriage the most because that's the closest thing. But uh, certainly in relation to like, we have to be angry in order to get the person to do what we want. We have to show anger, right? We have, to, we have to evince how unhappy we are to get them to change. And God's saying, that's, that's not the way. I'm not saying we don't need to talk about stuff, right? There's a difference between I'm so mad and you must change to please me now to I'm struggling with what's going on here and I need you to pray for me about how I'm doing. I'm not laying it on you, right? 
not manipulating. I'm not trying to manipulate, but I'm telling you what's going on instead of that point of anger that says, now you must change how you act. You must change how you behave in order to please me. We all get to that point where we do those things. He gives the example of uh, Sarah and Abraham, and neither of them are perfect. Uh, Abraham, certainly not in his leadership, right? Um, and uh, he says, hey, tell, her you're my si- tell them you're my sister because they're going to kill me. You know, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that they're going to kill me, so tell them you're my sister. And she almost ends up in a harem with uh, somebody else, right? Being given to somebody else, and God stops that. So Abraham, by no means perfect, and he keeps making the same mistakes over and over again. He's the father of faith. And Sarah, who's, who's, we're called, whose daughters you are, if you do good and aren't afraid, Sarah says, hey, I'm sick of waiting on God to provide a, a, an heir for us. Take my, my maidservant, take Hagar, and have a child by her. So not perfect. They're not perfect, but what came out of them was a blessing for every man and woman that would come after. That promise to them was that everybody else would be blessed through their seed, through what came from them. Nothing in that light, that others would be blessed from your obedience. Instead of focusing on what you're losing by being submissive instead of focusing on what you're giving up by coming under and lifting others up. God's got so much for us, and we don't see it because we're so focused on what it is that we want and what it is that we think we should be getting. And so we have no peace, and we don't obey. Your faith in God will bring you in the direction of obedience. Your faith in him will bring you in the direction of obedience. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Fear will keep you from submitting and calling your husband master. Oh, my gosh, can you imagine calling your husband master? (laughs) I won't say who is uh, vehemently shaking their head, but... They've been married for a long time. I'm not telling you to do that. God says there's something for you in that. God says there's something amazing for you in that. And I'm telling you, without peace, you won't do it. And what he says here, again, is... You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. All of this comes from fear, and fear wrecks your peace. I think women have it tremendously difficult, right? So if we go back in the Word, and it talks about this order of, you know, God is the head or the authority over man. Man is the authority over women. The fact that you guys have to deal with us is very, it's got to be, right? But God says, God sets all this for a reason. For our benefit, for your benefit, figure out why. Find the blessing in what God is calling you to 
find the peace in what God is calling you to. All right, husbands, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, likewise, 1 Peter 3, verse 7, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Sorry. And as being heirs together of the grace of God, that your prayers may not be hindered. Dwell with them with understanding. Something strongly here and ask that you consider it, guys, that you consider it rather than trying to poke holes in it and figure out how it isn't true. If you, husband, are not seeking to understand your wife, if you're not honoring her, if you're not seeing her as equal heirs of the grace of life, I would suggest to you that you are not invested in prayer. Because what he's saying here is, if you don't do these things, your prayers will be hindered. Do these things so that they will not be hindered. How is your prayer life? How serious are you about your prayer life? How are you treating your wife? Are you dwelling with her with understanding? Or is she just irrational and I'm trying to keep her from messing stuff up? I would even suggest that, or I wouldn't be surprised, if you're not focused on dwelling with your wife with understanding, you may not be praying much at all. Because if you're focused on prayer, you're going to find out what God says about it and how he wants you to be in prayer. And this is living with your wife with understanding, giving honor to your wife as the weaker vessel. Now, wives, you can what are you talking about? I'm way stronger than that clown. I'm not defining you as weak. I think you're very strong. But somehow in God's economy, he says this. In, uh, in Proverbs 31, he talks about the wife of noble character. Many women do, uh, do noble deeds, but you surpass them all, it says. That's not weak. That's not a person that doesn't do anything. But somehow God says, as the weaker partner, and he's got, in all of these things that are difficult for us, there's blessing. And he's riding into your life in peace with these things that he says for you to follow, for men to follow, for women to follow, for all of us to follow. He is riding into your life gently with just with justice and salvation coming in peace. Don't let your attitude toward your wife hamstring your prayer. Live with her with understanding. Dwell with her with understanding and give honor to her. Hmm. Verse 8, finally, all of you, so he brings it back all together now, right? All of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. 
For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Finally, all of you, be individuals and seek your own way. Not quite. Finally, all of you, be of one mind. Compassion, love, tender-hearted, courteous, not returning evil for evil. Somebody does something bad to you where you have every excuse in the world to be bad to them. No. It puts everything into perspective, right? We've got reasons to act certain ways, but God says, no, that's not who you ought to be. Give them blessing instead. And what does that do? What does a blessing that we give others do for us? We inherit blessing. All of these things that are hard for us, all of these things we may disagree with, all of these things we may choose to ignore, God says there's blessing for you in these things. And he says here at the end, right, well, he says pursue peace. Pursue peace. Let him seek peace and pursue it in verse 11. And it is so key to everything else. I don't want the face of the Lord against me. And that's what he says will happen in verse 12. Those who do evil, the face of the Lord is against. All right. Now you may say, I remember Jesus saying he didn't come to bring peace. Has that been going through anybody's mind? He keeps talking about peace. And Jesus coming into Jerusalem with peace. Jesus said, I'd write. In Luke 12, Jesus makes that statement. I did not come to bring peace on earth, but division. We'll start Luke 12, verse 49. I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. I'm bringing division, Jesus says. I'm bringing division. And why is that? Because each of you will choose. You'll have to choose, and not everyone will make the same choice. What he goes on there, he says, within a family, two will be against three and three against two. That division and the lack of peace is based on the choices that we make. It's not that he comes and has no peace to give. It's that he doesn't take it and just blanket the earth with peace and say, here, everybody, here's peace, and here's some love, and here's some tie-dye, and have a great time. He says, I have choices for you, and if you make choices that are about following me, you will have peace. I'm coming to you in that. I'm coming to you with that. But seek it and pursue it. You get to choose faith in me and submission and the blessing that comes with it or continued rebellion. 
You each get to choose submission or defiance, repaying evil with blessing or cursing, reviling others or being compassionate. There's a difference between coming in peace and just making it a fact of everyone's lives. Most of us have no peace or our peace is diminished. I won't say no peace. Because we choose not to have peace. Because we really don't want peace. Just like we don't want to be saved in the highest, we just want to be saved now. We sing, save us to the highest place, but we don't really mean it because we want our own desire and we confuse our own desire with peace. If I have what I want, then I will be at peace. If I get what I want, I will be at peace. If God does this thing, then I will be at peace. And we confuse the two. I was... really mad recently and i i have experienced um recently and and i've shared some of this how when i bring things to god and i and i tell him god this is what i want even even the things that are bad that I shouldn't want and I'm honest with God this is what I want God I know you know it already but I need to verbalize it to you this is what I want and you're not giving it to me and I know I can trust you with what I need and I have peace in that situation and the other day again not like this week but I was so mad And I saw the choices just right directly in front of me. And I I realized what I was doing is I I was choosing anger and what I wanted over choosing God. Because I I just I kept refusing to give the thing to God. Because I was mad and I was my my anger was justified and I should be able to stay there and be mad. And I was, I had no peace. Like the day was terrible. I had no peace and it was so stark because I refused to give the thing that I wanted to him because I wanted what I wanted more than I wanted him. And I was shocked. And I say, God, I'm sorry. And I have peace in that. The thing you really want could be really good. Something no one else would say, oh, you shouldn't want that. They may probably see it, they may see it as obvious. Who wouldn't want that? But when we want that more than we want God and we refuse to trust him, it is a peace wrecker. This is like the peace that passes understanding. I've always been like, I don't understand that. (laughs) Peace that passes understanding. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't get it. And I I think I finally do get it. Peace that passes understanding says, I can't see it. I don't know how it's going to work out. I can't solve it. And I don't know if it'll ever be solved but I have peace. 
I'm no longer in inner turmoil and distress about it. That, to me, is peace that passes understanding. And I can get back into distress about it and turmoil, but I can also get back out of it because I can choose God and I can choose obedience and I can choose faith and trust in him. I have a father who loves me and is trustworthy. So we spoke of Jesus entering Jerusalem in peace, riding a donkey, the cult of a donkey, surrounded by a crowd of powerless people who were dominated by religious leaders in Rome. And let's finish our sandwich here with another arrival. Revelation 19. In Revelation 19, we see how Jesus will come at the end. Verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like the flame of a fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is how Jesus will come at the end. His entrance into Jerusalem. I come in peace. I come riding a donkey. I come in gentleness. I come with salvation. I come with everything that you need. Do you want what he has for you, or do you want something else? <clears throat> to you who know him, peace that you can continue to grow in, peace that passes understanding, that says this is the way you should walk in. I know you. I know what you're made of. I know how you will be blessed. Peace that says, and at first I wrote, I'm okay with, and I thought, that's probably not a good way to say that. Peace that says, I embrace being called a weaker vessel. Peace that says, I embrace submitting to government authorities. Peace that says, I embrace giving honor to all, including the king, with Christ being all and seeking his kingdom first, with taking up my cross and laying down my life, with, uh, in the words Ray shared last week, peace with being broken and poured out. Would you be broken and poured out 
Lord Jesus. That's what he wants for you. And there's incredible blessing in that. If you're more concerned about your rights as defined by any constitution or vision of society than embracing the things Jesus has called you to, you are not going to have peace. You won't have it. And to you who don't know Jesus, who haven't come to faith in Christ, peace that takes away the possibility of God's fierceness and wrath because he's already laid that on Jesus and all you need to do is accept it. Then you get all the rest of the stuff I've been talking to everybody else about. That comes to peace that passes understanding. Will you accept the peace that Jesus brings? Will you embrace the things that he calls you to? Peace will help you tremendously. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have rode into our lives and that you came gently and that you brought things that we could never accomplish on our own. And we thank you that you deal with us over time and you're not scandalized by our thoughts and our actions, but that you continue to draw us to you with cords of human kindness. And that you want the highest salvation for us. You are not willing to settle for less than what you have for us. And you don't want us to either. And we pray to not settle, to continue to grow, to become closer and closer to you. We pray to live lives of peace that those that don't know you may see who you are and understand what you give, not comfort and everything that would ever make them happy, but a peace that is beyond our ability to grasp otherwise. In the ways that we struggle, God, help us. In the ways that we struggle, show us over and over again. Prompt us with things we would never expect to know how to overcome those things. Thank you that you came to take away the fierceness of the wrath of God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.